Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bleep you. This is this is our way. Yes, loud. Stevens is pretty smart. And knows what he's doing. The 3 and D roll. Go oh, to D-League. If I had uh, Antoine Walker's body, I'd be a small star. Hello, Celtics Nation, and welcome back. Banners broadcast number 22, I think, at this point, Jeff. Jeff Clark is with us today for another edition of the official Celtics blog podcast, the Banners broadcast. And today we're going to get into some topics ranging from Jason Tatum, draft picks, and a number of roundtables our staff sent to us. Jeff, welcome. Thank you very much. The Banners broadcast, the one and only. Yeah, we're we're loving it. New year, new uh, Banners broadcast. We had Justin Rowan on last week. Good discussion on the Cavaliers, who we're going to get into today as well. Of course, interesting developments on the Isaiah front. Uh, the Jay Crowder front, we always love looking down there. It's just become a constant source of uh, intrigue on our end now, on top of what was already an intriguing developing rivalry with the Cavaliers over the last couple of years. Things are, aren't going great over there, but we've seen this before, Jeff, but we'll get to that at the end of the episode. Uh, first things first, if you guys like the show, want to give some critiques or anything else, Send them my way at Real Bob Manning or at Celtics Blog. You can send them right to the boss, and uh, he'll let me hear it. If you like the show, give us a uh, review and rate on iTunes. That's the best way you can uh, show your support for the show. And, of course, check out all the great content we have at Celtics Blog. Let's get into it, Jeff. Uh, Sounds good. Tatum, we are, I want to say... Just under a year, we're probably seven, eight months into the Jason Tatum era now, which is going to be a great long era, as we hope. And it started off controversial. Now it feels unanimous in that it was just a great, astounding pick that Danny Ainge couldn't have done any better on. And we saw him in full force in London. It, w- it was amazing. That was as good as I've seen him look all season, just taking over the game into the third quarter, hitting shot after shot, getting to the rim at will. Showing off versatility offensively, really. And that prompted you, of course, to write your article about him, which is up at Celtics blog now. What is your thinking on Tatum right now, obviously, beyond the fact that we can all just say he's amazing? Give us a little <laughs> more insight than that. Well, the funny thing is that I started thinking about writing that piece 
you know, a few days ago because he's just been fantastic all season. And it's been a, a joy to watch him develop at warp speed at such an early age. The onus of the piece is just sort of this this fan mentality of, like, how excited am I going to allow myself to be about this young guy? I mean, we've seen so many young players show potential and and they show you know little glimmers here and there but this guy just has so much more than in, than pretty much just any other rookie that I've seen come along just so much more poise so much more I mean we're talking about like the deep um stuff like off the ball movements you know where to be on a screen where to be on a on a rotation like how how he needs to set up and, and when to when to go on transition like and, and when to hold the ball up kind of like pace and speed and just all the things that you would imagine that a uh, yeah exactly a pace and space from a from a uh, a rookie when he's playing like a, a a veteran player so that alone gives me a lot of hope and then you add in the fact that he's just you know shooting lights out of the ball he's one of the lead leading like one of the top two you know three-point shooters he's got all these amazing talents in terms of getting the his shot off at any place in the, on the court. So, I mean, there's just so much to enjoy about his game. And I'm not, I haven't even started to talk about how the fact he's just yamming on people, which is just <laughs> fun to see. So oh, that, that's amazing. just, uh, yeah, that's my favorite thing about Al Horford. Uh, those moments where he just gets ferocious. Cause I'm starting to see, you know, people have been doing these comparisons on Tatum. Who is he? Is he Paul Pierce? Is he uh, Carmelo Anthony? Is he this guy, that guy? It's tough. Yeah. And we've done that before on the show. The guy sure. who I don't hear a lot um, when it comes to comparisons about him, and obviously they're different positions, but in demeanor, in the way they approach the game, I see a lot of Horford in him. The length, the defensive yeah. prowess we've seen in him, the shooting, of course, and obviously just the unflappability, as you like to say about Tatum. They both <laughs> have that demeanor where they're able to go through the flow of the game. Both don't show a lot of emotion. They both are pretty level-headed, whether there's bad calls or anything else. And then there'll be those moments where they just completely unload on the front line and are dunking over two people, and you're like, well, he's done that in there, too. Yep. Yeah, I, 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 I like to say he's completely devoid of flaps. He's totally, <laughs> totally unflappable. Uh, yeah, I like the, the Al Horford comparison. He's he's like Al Horford with a lot more swag. But I was going to say maybe a little bit of Tim Duncan in there, too. Like, we're we're kind of comparing him to for lack of a better word, boring people. He's got a little flow to him. He's got a little bit of, um, you know, swagger to his to his gait, if not his his um, his tongue, if you will. So I, I enjoy seeing him out on the court. He, he's, he, he looks like he belongs. That's the way it is with us 19-year-olds. we got to keep it cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, 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 you definitely bring the swagger on the on the podcast. I appreciate that. Yeah, I got to, you know, you're like the Horford around here. I got to be the Tatum to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, yeah, very nice. This. What I do bring uh, to this conversation, what made me bring up that Horford point is this hasn't been talked about with Tatum either, and I was able to get a chance to be in the uh, locker room over this winter break. And mm-hmm. the first person I walked by going through the hallway was Tatum. And I'll say this. We, we talk a lot about the height of players, whether the listed height is real, the measurements are legit, and that was obviously a big topic with Kevin Garnett. I heard Je- Jeff Van Gundy say this on one of the broadcasts last week. It might have been the uh, Minnesota one or one of those ones there. This guy is definitely taller than 6'8". He is 6'8", <laughs> 6'10", maybe even 6'11". And you see it in the way he rebounds. 
And walking by him in the hallway, this was one massive human being. He might even be Horford's height or even a little bit taller. His length is unbelievable. The physical tools he has are just off the charts, and he does so much with them. Looking back at draft time, there was a stylistic concern with him. People worried about the way he approaches the game, if the college techniques he was going to be bringing to the uh, NBA level were going to be able to translate. And what still blows my mind to this day, looking back at the Duke tape, is he just transitioned his approach perfectly to fit the Celtics system, to fit the NBA system. There were so many post-ups, so many uh, isolation face-ups in the Duke system. And I'm, I'm still flabbergasted, even as a guy who was a big Tatum guy, that he was able to make those adjustments so quickly where he'd fit in the flow of not only the Stevens system, but the NBA that has gone away from those tendencies he showed in college. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, the guy can ball. I mean, that's what it boils down to. He knows how, like, some people just have an innate gift for scoring buckets, and he's one of them. We picked him third, whatever, but it's like, you know, that's what you want is a guy who can just generate his own offense. That's a guy we've been waiting for for forever. And that, that that's the other, you know, part of my piece, too, is the fact that, you know, hey, this guy could not just be a phenomenal rookie. He could be that franchise guy. Like, he could be better than Kyrie someday and not too far in the distant future either. Uh, there is no ceiling for this guy. There, you know, with apologies to MJ, the, the, the roof, the, the ceiling has no roof, okay? So this guy is just, I'm not willing to put any kind of limitations on what he can become. Now, I'm not signing him up for the the, the Hall of Fame or the All-Star Game or, or anything at this point. He's still just 19, and that's kind of me kind of checking myself. Uh, but you can kind of almost hear my internal struggle, even as I talk about him, right? So it's like I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but at the same time, he's just so good. And, and I, I, I look at him and I say, like you said, he's so long, he's so good, he's so he shoots so well. He's, he's Larry Bird with Kevin McHale's arms. Like that's that's nuts, okay? And the other funny thing is, you talk about his length. I love the fact that he's now doing wraparound passes to the to the three point line. That 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 almost shouldn't be fair. He looks like Randy Johnson out there, just you know, throwing it from one end of the court to the other and wrapping completely around somebody like Plastic Man or something. We've run out of legitimate comparison to this. The first to Jason Tatum, like that's that's that he is what he is. Jason Tatum one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One point it's, it's fitting that he's wearing number, number zero, too, in, in the aftermath of Avery Bradley because we are seeing him put new pieces on his game month after month. That was the calling card of Avery Bradley here is how he just kept playing his game year after year, month after month, putting little pieces you didn't expect. Uh, that yeah. last year of Avery Bradley, the rebounding he added, going from like three rebounds a game up to almost seven that season was ridiculous. The common denominator there is just work ethic. Both these guys, both those guys work so hard on their game, and that's what what's pays off. Yeah, and that's what I love to see out of these young players is transitioning their games beyond what we think they can be because we had certain doubts about what Jason Tatum could be defensively, and he's alleviated those with those blocks around the rim. He, he also does this thing where he, he'll be circling around a player with the ball, and I've never seen anyone really do this. We've... We've seen a lot of great players with great length in this league, but what Tatum has the mind to do with that length is 
he'll just walk by a player with the ball, stick his arm in the vicinity, and like half the time he does it, the ball just sort of seems to pop loose. And he's been able to generate a ton of steals doing that this year. It's one of my favorite things he does on top of all the other uh, great, amazing things we see him do on a nightly basis. And looking back on it, he's only had like two or three nights where you say, oh, he struggled tonight. Uh, he finds a way to be efficient, even if he doesn't start the game that way. By the end of the game, his percentages look pretty good. And he has the awareness to pick his spots, which is great, too. Uh, it is really hard to find something negative to say about his season. When we came out of the draft and the, all the, the scouting reports on him were, you know, we already talked about, like, he plays inside the arc. Well, that's been solved. Right from summer league, Brad Stevens was saying, hey, this guy can this guy can ball on defense. And, and we're seeing it right now. I mean, like, if you had told me at draft night that he could that he could play this level of defense this early in his in his career. I, you know, I, I would have been right there with Danny Ainge and say, OK, number one draft pick. Let's go ahead and pick him. So 538 before the season, Jeff, released uh, in anticipation of the Celtics record. Had them in the 40s, lower than uh, the Vegas odds. And then once Hayward went down, had them slated at 37 wins. So beyond just people's expectations of the team going down once Hayward went down with that injury on opening night, so did the math. Uh, every All the projections and everything expected out of all the players that were present once Hayward went down. All the math had it coming out to 37 wins, and they're already at 34, 34 and 10 to this point. And there's a lot of uh, reward to go around for the start, this absurd start that they've been on. It's still amazing that they're 24 wins over 500. It's unbelievable, really. I don't think anyone would have expected this. What percentage, if we had to put like a mathematical percentage on it, do you think Tatum has played in that outcome? Well. Well, first of all, I'm not a gambling man, but can I can I um, put some money down on them exceeding 37 wins? <laughs> I would say that'd be of solid. Uh, I don't know how the odds would be on that one at this point. <laughs> what percentage of the the wins or what the, the good record is is due to Jason Tatum? I don't know. I, it's probably pretty low in the grand scheme of things. It's just because I think Kyrie's carrying the offense, Al Horford is facilitating the offense, and Jason Tatum is, is and Jalen Brown, for for that matter, are are picking up the the kind of role that J, that Gordon Hayward vacated, kind of like that third scoring option between the two of them. They're kind of combining like Voltron to kind of you know form what he he in theory would have would have given the team uh, if he was healthy. So yeah, I don't know. So let's say you know ten percent to fifteen percent of the of the. The success they've had is due to Jason Tatum, and I think that's a, a huge, huge compliment for a guy, uh, a rookie, a 19-year-old rookie that, that's coming into the league raw. I'd put him, I'd put it higher than that, though. I think the defensive impact well, he's had, the offensive impact he's had, and just the reliability of him being a cog in the lineup, leaning on him to be that starting small forward, steady veteran production every single night. And he definitely has exceeded expectations, but I look across the roster and wonder, if it wasn't him, I I don't know who else would have been able to fill that role. Well, clearly you're wrong on this purely subjective matter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, yes, he's he's clearly important. I think that Horford and and Kyrie just are, are just so good and so good at this 
at leading this team and they're veterans. They know what to do. They, they, they're they leading the, the way. I mean, he's very, obviously very important. He might be, I, I think just at this very moment, I think Jalen Brown's probably the already the third best player on the team and, and Tatum's not far behind. So that's that's saying something right there. And, and uh, it's it just speaks to the depth that this team has is, is that they have that many good players, even with Gordon Hayward out. Yeah, it's impressive for sure, and he definitely is picking up fast on Brown. Brown was still weighing on that consistency factor with Brown. That's still my big thing with him to this day is can he be an every-night impact guy or is it just going to be spotty? Like Someone compared him recently to Jeff Green, which is – Excessive, I think, at this point, if we're talking Ooh. inconsistency. <laughs> uh, but it, that worried me a little bit. It, it crept that seed of doubt in my mind to say, oh, I really hope that doesn't go in that direction because I think you know well that that was one of the more uh, unpleasant experiments in Celtics history for sure. For Jalen Brown, I still give him the kind of young player pass, if you will. I mean, the, the thing that separates good young from good veteran is consistency, like you're yes. talking about, right? So. Like, you know, J- Jalen Brown's going to show signs of, of, of brilliance and, and, and domination in some games and then completely disappear in other games. But that's, that, that is a rookie or a second-year player's tendency. But when they become veterans, what, what separates them from the pack, what separates them from being a good-to-great player is that consistency. And so when you see him, you know, contributing – X amount. It doesn't even have to be a ton. It doesn't. I'm not expecting him to be a 20 point scorer with with 10 rebounds and and all this other stuff. Like I, I just want him to be 18 points, reliable every night, playing hard nosed defense and and showing no fear and, and giving us what he what he can give us. And if anything over and above that, in my mind already is gravy. And you know I think he's got that potential. He's got the potential to be a 20 point scorer. Don't get me wrong, but I think he's just. He seems to be more of that jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type of guy that is going to be impacting the, the game in so many different facets. Maybe like an Andre Iguodala type, you know, or, or something. I, I like that comparison a little better. <laughs> well, a lot better than Jeff Green, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So recently, the we've had conversations in the past about Danny Ainge's draft track record, and today's a good day to do it with Jason Tatum being the theme of the show. And... I have an interesting theory on the draft track record of late, spur of the moment type thing that dawned upon me this week. Ever since Brad Stevens arrived, Angel's draft record has been pretty good. We're going to read through it real quick right here, and you can basically respond to all these names with good or bad as I read across them. Jason Tatum. Uh, good. Semi Ojoy. Good for his draft position. Kadeem Allen. Uh, undecided. Jabari Bird. Undecided. And we, but we'll, we'll just go with the first rounders. Probably unfair sure. to do the second rounders. Jalen yeah. Brown. Solid. Very, very, very solid. Gershon Yabusele. Um, good. I mean, to, to be determined. Then we have Ante Zizek, who became Kyrie Irving. So. Skip down. <laughs> that was that was obviously the we referred to it as the Ante Zizek uh, trade. Right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Terry Roger. Um, solid, like surprisingly solid. R.J. Hunter. <laughs> Not so solid. <laughs> Marcus Smart. Very solid, like brick solid. James Young. Uh, <laughs> I don't care enough. So I'm not going to answer. <laughs> All right. Kelly Olenek. 
Um, surprisingly Canadian solid. Yeah. So they that's the Brad Stevens era of Danny Ainge draft pick. So I look at that, and then I look at what before, came before that. And, of course, there's probably some conversation there between those two about personnel and what would fit best within the system. And I, I think there was a real turning point once Brad Stevens arrived on the Danny Ainge draft fortunes. How, how do you feel about that? Well, I have a, a, a another theory as well. When Danny Ainge is allowed to draft in the top five, he does pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, the talent up there is just so much more. Like, it, it's a crap shit. Well, he got Roger at 16. Well, I'm not, I'm not discounting the fact that he can get talent lower in the draft. Yeah. I'm just saying that your your chances, your your odds of, of selecting a better player are obviously better at the top of the draft. Now, if you if you just cherry pick and say, oh, he picked Fab Mello, oh, he picked uh, Jared Selinger, well, those guys were at the end of the first round. I mean, what, those, as far as I'm concerned, Jared Selinger was a was a, a huge success for the position that he was drafted in. Yeah. Fab Mello, not so much, but he was a shot worth taking, right? He's a seven-footer with defensive potential. Like, I could see the reasoning behind that pick. Just like I could see the reasoning behind all of his draft picks going all the way back to Marcus Banks. I mean, Every time he's made a pick, I can at least see the reasoning behind his selection, and then it becomes, you know, is the player does the player work hard enough? Does the player fit in? Does he does he does he develop over time? Does he have that kind of you know mentality and and work ethic that's going to make him a success in this league? And you know, for every time we drafted late in the in, in the in the first round, sometimes we got Tony Allen, sometimes we got J.R. Giddens. I mean, like. It is what it is. So that low in the draft, I don't think you can really – I mean, you have to kind of almost put Danny Ainge against other people who have drafted that low and see how well he did against that. Not You can't just cherry-pick Fab Mello and say, okay, he's not a good drafter. Yeah, and it is harder with him because he just made so many. And when you make that many, there's obviously going to be a number of busts involved in there. He has picked good guys that poise well for trades, too. And I think that goes underrated in his record as well, as a number of these guys have slid into his great trades over the years, whether it be a Jeff Green type or a Marshawn Brooks or going back to Joe Green and Al Jefferson who eventually facilitated the Kevin Garnett trade. He has drafted guys that others have deemed valuable around the league. Absolutely. The draft picks have value because of that potential uh, factor. Everyone thinks that they can take a, a you know, a, a young guy like, a, I don't know, it never he never turned into a trade, but James Young is, is an example I always think about. He, he had ton, he had visible talent like he was supposed to be a, a scorer coming out of, of kentucky he never turned into anything you, you can see why that selection was made but you can also once it comes out about oh he doesn't have a great work ethic he doesn't have the attitude that, that you're looking for you can see why he didn't necessarily pan out does help having a ton more picks too you go down this yeah. list they made one two three four five six seven eight selections in 2016 compared to uh one in 2009 so he's done a good job stockpiling these picks as well over the yep. years which counts as well I, I do like how more guys are getting a chance in the league now too keith smith's favorite the two-way contracts now allen and Bird have been able to stick around and get their chance, whereas other years they would have been fighting for that last spot. And 
they probably would have been out of here by the end of it. And if you had that around when it came down to that R.J. Hunter-James Young battle two years ago, both those guys are probably still sticking around in Maine and uh, at least have a chance to get up and play some games when injuries happen and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's an encouraging sign to see the, the league going in the direction of, of developing and, and using that D-League slash G-League, whatever you want to call it these days, um, to, to their advantage. I think Adam Silver is doing the best he can with the infrastructure that he has to build up a kind of a, a sort of minor league system that, that, that will be at least a good... Uh, developmental assistance to the the major league clubs for the first i didn't make it up uh, a week ago but for the first time ever like maine excites me i, I want to get up there and see a game and see yabu Sele and alan bird <laughs> and my buddy uh, andrew white there who they picked up out of syracuse last year the talent's yeah. getting better up there they're doing a better job at it and i'm excited about it and i have been a vocal critic of the d league over the years as we've seen the likes of fab Mello and james young just tear it up up there I, I give them a lot of credit for the experimentation they're doing to get it more uh, pumped up in that sense. And uh, they're trying to raise the money a little bit too, which obviously helps as well. Draft picks are on the table. Our buddy Bill Sai over at the site threw this question at us. And as we speak, now the Lakers have gone down the tank. So we can thank Danny Ainge once again for having the Celtics in position to pick up another first-round pick, possibly. Uh, mm-hmm. Lakers sit at 14-27, and 27, which is the fifth-worst record in the NBA, and puts them in position to fall in that 2-5 to five range, which if the Lakers do end up there pick-wise, the Celtics are going to get another top-five pick next year. And as you said, that's another good shot at a great player. If it doesn't end up in that range, it's going to be Sacramento's pick next year heading to the Celtics, unless it's the number one overall pick. So Bill's question for us, Jeff, was would you rather have the Lakers pick this year squeezed in a 2-5 to five if they do get it, or wait and see until next year where the Kings could be as high as 2 or if they fall to 8 or 10 or anywhere in between, the Celtics are going to get it unless it's number 1. Yeah, I, I kind of see where Bill's going with this question, but you know, I, I'm a, very much a Larry Bird in the hand is better than 2 in the bush type of guy, so I'm, you know, I would rather have the, the pick now have it in our system earlier, get, go ahead and get the guy, draft someone right now between two and five in a, in a draft that legitimately seems to have four or five star players that could come out of it. So very comfortable with, with picking whoever you know, lands uh, or, or falls to us in that, in that range. But if it does you know, delay another year, I guess there's a, there's a good timing effort there in terms of it being a good, a good draft pick to dangle as a as a as a trade chip if you will if, if we're going after an anthony davis if you will so I, I can see some value to it being the, the the king's pick certainly the kings still remain kings um, yeah absolutely but uh yeah i'm also not going to bank too much but i, I don't know who, who knows I'm, I'm happy to watch the lakers lose if if I have to go to to watching the Kings lose, then I then I can do that too. So I'm I'm very versatile in my in my in my watching of other teams lose. And the the big caveat there that I think would change both of our minds is the fact that Sacramento, even if they do get their pick next year, can't be that number one overall selection. And that, that trade went pretty well for Ainge to this point. 
But I still wish they were able to get that next pick completely unprotected. It, it still worries me just a little bit that it's going to turn into a number one pick one of these two years, and we're going to be going, ah, in the end. But uh, th- that's what happens with those things. There had to be some protection there. And now Philly's sitting with faults, wondering what's going to happen there, and we're having a full show about Tatum. So it worked out yeah. in some sense. Yeah, I, w- I would lean towards this year as well. Of course, I'm no Kevin O'Connor, but the, I do like the top of this draft board. You have Impact, Big Men, DeAndre Ayton out of uh, Arizona. Love the look of him. I'm going to start diving into more college tape as we go along. But there are Impact, Big Men in this draft. And uh, with Baines, Tice being here right now, that definitely could be an area where they could upgrade to top-tier talent next to Horford there. So I, I do like the sound of that this season. Yeah, I think I think we sound like spoiled Celtics fans when we're when we're decrying. We want even more. First, yeah, exactly. I mean, just the fact that uh, already it looks like the Lakers pick could be better than the, the the Cavs pick. I mean, that I'm sorry, the 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 Nets pick that the Cavs got. That's that's mind blowing to me. If you had, if you had told me that, you know, even a year ago, so it, it's awesome. Yeah, we're spoiled, but we're not. I mean, we we needed some good things to happen after Hayward went down. We all remember we didn't know what to say that night. I mean, we were just in yeah. complete doom and gloom. So I think it's only right that it's gone this way. Right. Uh, the the only fear that I have on a macro level is that we keep having this these dreams about oh, we we are the Eastern Conference champions and we got the number one pick and now we're we're still talking about the future. Oh, we got Jason Tatum and we've got this Lakers pick. So I, I want to stop talking about the future, and I want to be a dominant team in the top of the the, the championship conversation. And we're still all, we're we're kind of getting there with our record, but we're not getting there necessarily with the narrative. I think everyone still, and perhaps rightfully so, says you know the the, the ceiling on this team is questionable with the fact that Gordon Hayward's not in. He's not playing right now. So how much can this team actually win? Well, we're depending so much on two very young guys to, to, to lead us. Well, that's why this uh, Anthony Davis trade discussion keeps heating up, and I, I yeah. don't see any way it's going to happen this season, but I think there's a legitimate chance this summer to come. And the big question, if that ever does come to the table, is there anyone that's going to be untouchable? And this is another uh, question Bill Sy fired at us. If Davis is on the tra- table right now, and of course the guy we're looking at when it comes to untouchables is Tatum, I think most other guys would be on the table right there. If Tatum was the deal breaker, how do you feel about that next summer? Yeah, I mean, I addressed this briefly in my piece. Like, you know, if you base it purely on what he's doing right now, or even just a little bit of a progression, you could make the case very easily that, you know, Jason Tatum plus other pieces are worth throwing into an, a, a, a trade for Anthony Davis. What I what my point is, is that by the time the Pelicans are ready to trade Anthony Davis, which could be, you know, this summer, next summer, whatever, I think by that time, Jason Tatum is going to prove unequivocally that he's worth more than or, or not worth throwing into a, a Anthony Davis trade plus something else. I, I just don't see him, the, the point of, like, there's no point, there's nothing, no such thing as an untradeable player in Danny Ainge's world, but I think Tatum's value, based on his youth, based on his fact that he's on his rookie contract and so good so so early, I don't think that there is a deal out there that is going to make him move Jason Tatum. So the, he's about as close as an untouchable as you can get in Danny Ainge's um, universe. 
Yeah, and it, he's always going to push for the value pull in those trades as well, which makes it unlikely that we're going to see Tatum go flying out in that sense because Tatum probably is still, even with the picks left over, the most valuable asset they have to them going forward. I, I There's just something about Davis that just intrigues me wildly, though. It's that Kevin Garnett factor, him being that size, him having that level of impact on both ends of the floor. And I still say I 100% agree with you in that sense that the Celtics aren't treated as true title contenders, even though the record's there, even though they made that East Finals run a year back. I think Davis would change all of that with just how larger-than-life his impact is. And, of course, he doesn't have that Kevin Garnett demeanor to him. It's that low-key attitude we were talking about in the opener that he beholds. But when you look at the impact on the court, when he's not injured, and that's the key point right there, he's Garnett-esque in that sense. And you remember yourself the thought around Garnett around the league before he came to Boston and after he came to Boston and he was in that better system, able to win a championship. It all flipped and eventually he became known as one of the greatest players of all time because of that. There are concerns about Davis, but I think you throw what we already see in him into the Celtic system where Stevens can get a hold of him and he's around better players. It just makes me giddy. Yeah, I, I'm. I don't see any concerns with him personally. I, I'm. I'm a 100% huge Anthony Davis fan. Love his game. Love. I actually really enjoy the conversation in terms of comparing him to Kevin Garnett because I think they are very similar. Um, they have the ability to make an impact on both ends of the court. They are so long, so strong, so talented, etc. So yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I would love to have Anthony Davis in in a Boston Celtics uniform, and I would give up half the farm and, and a few other farms in order to get him in here. I just don't want to necessarily, you know, jettison a, a Jason Tatum who, like I said in my my piece this morning, he could be that franchise guy. He could be as good as Anthony Davis down the line. So um, that's that's not out of the realm of possibility. Definitely not going to happen this year. It just There's a number of things you can talk about, the reasons it wouldn't work, money, the Pelican situation, all the above. So we can throw that forward to the summer. For now, it's the Celtics, it's the Cavaliers, and, of course, the Raptors still in the conversation now. The interesting thing about the Raptors... They had the Celtics number last year and the year before that. It was just a good matchup for them and not necessarily so for the Celtics. And we've seen that matchup once this year between them that the Celtics got the upper hand in. So that matchup's interesting for me going forward. I'm I'm really excited to see those two teams go at it again. Celtics, Cavaliers, we know how those two teams line up a little bit. Um, so how do you feel about those two teams at the top of the East? How much do they scare you? H- how much do you think the Celtics stand a chance against both of them in a seven-game series when it comes down to that, or if it comes down to that? Yeah, sure. And, and by the way, I wanted to give a shout-out to Cooper Wyatt, who gave us a question about the Cavs and the, and, the, and the Raptors on Twitter, asking about who are we more concerned with, Raptors or Cavs. The, the, the Raptors are, are an interesting team in that, you know, they've, last year, I think they were much more of a, at least DeMar DeRozan in particular was much more of a um, what we were worried about with Jason Tatum. He long twos and and low low percentage shots. He's the, kind of like the the Kobe light, if you will. But he's he's expanded his game out to three point land, and he's now being more of a threat. And so they they've changed up their offense to be a little bit more, you know, for lack of a better word, Maury like. Mm-hmm. So 
and I'm interested to see how that matches up. You know, I think I, I almost feel like last year it gave the Celtics fits because they weren't used to people actually taking so many shots inside the arc. And now perhaps when they go back to more of a modern modern game, maybe the Celtics know how to match up with them a little bit better. So it's kind of like a inverse, you know, relationship there. But I don't know. I, I think that the, the Raptors are a very, very good team. They've done a lot of great things. And I would definitely be concerned in a matchup with them in the playoffs. But I'm, I also tend to like our chances, too. And, and Zach Lowe interviewed Dwayne Casey on the uh, one of the ESPN podcasts about uh, two, three weeks ago. I really enjoyed that listen. And it did dive deep into the systematic changes that the Raptors made going into this season. You have C.J. Miles there. They drafted O.G. and Nodbert. I know to me, that's a tough yeah, one right that there, that guy, <laughs> and he's, he's been great for them, and we have seen a rejuvenated DeRozan, Kyle Lowry still as good as ever at that point guard spot for them, but they did have a system issue there, and they addressed it, and there's a lot more motion, a lot more spacing there this season, so as much as the Celtics have changed, they've changed too, and I, I'm, they play next on February 6th, the Celtics beat them 95-94 to 94 back in November, so very early in the season where the Celtics were on a tear uh, unequivocally then. 21 points from Horford that night, 13-7 and seven from Tatum, 18 from Brown, and they were able to pull out of that one. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that matchup because the Celtics did skate around them last year, and that was a big reason they made it to the East Finals, I think, is they didn't have to deal with that matchup. But now both sure. teams have changed so much. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be... A dogfight, kind of like it was with the Wizards last year. If if they do meet in the in the playoffs, I think that would be an interesting matchup to be sure. So Cavaliers, here we are again. I I talked to our good friend Justin Rowan last week. We had the big discussion on whether or not they're trying or whether or not that's a real thing. And you know that That was a great conversation. uh, You know that. That gets in my head like crazy, so I'm not going to go off on a tear about that this week. Where are we with the Cavaliers? Are we concerned, or is this just another example of them trying to get through the 82 games and then turn it on come playoff time? I do think it's a very interesting this year because that roster's new as well. They are facing new challenges there, new players that they have to get uh, instituted in that system. That's how why I feel it's different. Do you feel it's any different from last year? Well, I think it's different. They do have a different cast of characters, and they're missing one, you know, Kyrie Irving. That's a huge difference. But not to sound like every other ESPN pundit and everything like that. I mean, they do have LeBron James. They do have one of the best players, perhaps, of all time. So that you do have to take that into account. On the other hand, one man can't make an entire season. You can't. You can't overcome the fact that they have one of the worst defenses in the league. You know, it, it's a that defense is really problematic for them, and no great team has that bad of a defense. So I am hoping that that is their Achilles' heel. And and you know, I, I saw somebody else say this this point. You know, they've got Isaiah Thomas and and Kevin Love in in their starting rotation and you know they've leaned heavily on guys like Calderon and stuff like that like this isn't going to be a great defensive team you know there's only so much Jay Crowder can do as one person and he had, and he struggled this year so yes I, I I'm enjoying the fact that they're struggling but at the same time uh, I do 
you always have to give them that asterisk of, yes, they have LeBron James. They're going to be dangerous in any playoff series. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to give, you know, Golden State a run for their money, but I, I think that they're they're good enough to really compete in the in the East just based on the fact that they have, you know, LeBron, Kevin Love, Isaiah Thomas at whatever percent he's at at this point and shooters around them. That, that LeBron factor is key. Every LeBron team has made the finals since 2010 when the Celtics made it. And so that, that's something the Cavaliers are going to be able to hang their heads on. But at the same time, we're, we're reaching a point where he is playing massive minutes. He's getting older. And I think on the other side, that LeBron factor is going to be key possibly in their demise as well because... He is a free agent this summer. There is going to be that possible out for him at the end of the door if they do fall short this year. And then on the other side, there is going to come some point. It seems like it's so far in the future that it's never going to come. But with them having to play him 35, 40 minutes a night just to be competitive, there's going to be a time where that hits a wall for them. I mean, we've seen LeBron do things that no human has ever done. Yeah. But at some point, the 35-40 minute games are going to have some sort of tangible effect. And I feel like they are so ride or die on LeBron at this point that if there's any slip up on his end, it's going to open a huge door for the Celtics. Yeah, I keep waiting for it. There's just like every other NFL team keeps waiting for Tom Brady to stay down. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a little inhuman and it's weird to see how long he's been able to sustain this success and and health and whatnot. But um, hey, you know, all you can do is tip your cap to him and and wait for it to die. How do you f- die? But you know. What I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, halt, maybe, was the better word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not wishing any ill will on anybody. Don't, don't, get, don't twist it. That's, uh, that's how much we're anticipating the playoffs around here. L- last question I got for you. Isaiah has not had the best start out there. He's coming back from injury, and he's had a couple 0 for 7 starts over the last two nights. H- how do you feel about that front now, that we've seen him and that there has been visible slippage in the first uh, few games back or is this just an adjustment period for him oh i definitely just see it as an adjustment period i wasn't expecting him to have what was it something like 16 minutes and four or 16 points in 14 minutes or something ridiculous like that in his first game i mean i wasn't expecting him to come back and and score any buckets at all until uh or or at least come along slowly like i expected him to, to struggle early everyone should have expected that because he's out of shape and maybe that he was just running on adrenaline that first night. So I'm not going to put too much into that small sample size. I, I assume that he's going to work his way back into the system, into shape. And I mean, he's learning a new system. He's coming back from injury. He's got a hundred different things um, going against him, which is by the way, exactly where he likes to be. So uh, he loves the, that chip on his shoulder and he loves to be the underdog. So more power to him. What are the uh, what's the percentage chance that him and uh, Paul Pierce are duking it out on the Shamrock uh, over a video on February 11th? Uh, I I hate this topic. <laughs> I, I really don't care. I mean, I'm the last person to worry about this kind of stuff. If they wanna if they wanna have an, an issue, then I'm sure the Celtics PR group is gonna have their hands full. But I couldn't care less. Just just give me my. Give me my Paul Pierce night and have Isaiah have a, a nice tribute video. If it happens to be on the same night, I don't care. If they don't have it on the same night, I don't care. 
<laughs> One month from Thursday, Cavaliers-Celtics at the Garden. Paul Pierce night and Isaiah Thomas night as well. We'll see how that goes. Jeff Clark joining us today is the boss over at CelticsBlog.com. He wrote about Jason Tatum this week. So go check that out over on that site. And uh, go give us a rate and review if you can over at... Uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitchers, wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on the CLNS Media app, so be sure to check out clnsmedia.com as we continue to expand our Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox, and uh, league-wide coverage over on that front. Great work by Nick Gelso and the rest of them. Thanks for being with us here today, Jeff. we got another great New Year's shows coming, and uh, we're happy to have you here for part of it. Thanks, Bobby. It was a great show. Good night, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>